0: All right, so Emily, like two weeks ago, you texted me uh, a link to John Mulaney on Hot Ones. and
1: Oh, I never watched it.
0: Oh, my gosh. So I was going to say, I just watched it. Okay. And it was really, really fun. I thought you watched it, and so that's why I went to I saw talk.
1: some clips. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, it makes, I'm bad about I just send people things. I'm like, you'd probably like this. I think
0: that's great. If you ever <laughs> want to connect more with Hot Ones, just go to TikTok because they break the 30-minute yes. t- episode into each wing. Gotta be honest with you, pal. I've been, <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. I love that. Um, but it was really, really good. It was kind of like the whole special of Baby J put into mm-hmm. a conversation around hot wings, okay. and I just like I'm really appreciating his like how he's leaning into the season of vulnerability and still finding it really funny. For real. Um, and finding the comedy. So I, there's nothing like super profound about it, but I was just telling you that I watched it, and now you haven't watched it.
1: I will watch it. I've been meaning to. It's like saved on my yeah. YouTube, but I just haven't gotten around yeah. to it. But um, I, is this our like cultural commentary moment? Sure. In sure. <laughs> no, but I was going to say I'm totally with you on the vulnerability thing because re- I had a show this past Saturday, and honestly, I didn't really expect it, but the crowd was like not – great and i was like this is the time to just like try new stuff
0: okay is that, that what the- you do when a crowd isn't great <sighs>
1: a lot of so a lot of times when you say not
0: great do you mean like they were heckling they were just not they were kind of aloof like what is not great? just kind of
1: aloof not laughing okay a small and if it's small and spread out that is like a recipe for disaster yeah because you want like compact um
0: you want critical mass right noises for sure coming from the same area
1: um i don't remember who said it but someone said the worst places for a fire are the best places for comedy Mm. it's like there's one exit low ceilings everyone's really close together Kind of interesting. Um, Interesting. But I, yeah, I did. I had a show the other day that was like six people in the audience and the headliner was like, honestly, guys, just try new stuff like this is just which is kind of sad for those six people who like bought a ticket. But it's still we're still kind of funny. Yeah. But anyway, I was trying new stuff and I felt like I had a friend who kind of encouraged me of like, I think you could lean into more vulnerability in your comedy. Yeah. And I kind of tried that and it like went decently well and I got like decent laughs for a first try like definitely it could be
0: and for a bad crap,
1: right but like definitely it could be polished but it was just kind of it was cool to like try something vulnerable and it's it's very powerful when you take something really personal and it gets laughs. so like I love that he's being successful with that and honestly he's like I think modeling that for a lot of people
0: yeah so you're like what well, you're Four years? Three years into comedy? Two years into comedy. Do you think – because I think it's an interesting, like, shift maybe for you. Like, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've hit it? Like, this is my wheelhouse, where I am, what I'm good at. But also, like, now exploring this vulnerability side, you're like, maybe that could become more of your set? Or, like, is it just like this was a one-off thing?
1: No, I I would love to, like, begin to incorporate more of that into my set. Because basically what it was is I took – It's hard to, like, explain any of the stories on the pod real quick, so I'm just going to talk in generalities. But, like, I took some stories that I'll, like, tell friends anyway and that'll get laughs. And I was like, that's what – like, just try it on stage, right? Yeah. And – it's just funny, like, sometimes I feel like, especially when you get stories from your life, you sometimes don't realize how crazy they are until someone else hears it. And so this one lady just, like, had her, like, jaw, mouth mouth open, jaw dropped, and was like, Emily, what the hell?
0: Yeah. Like, she wasn't
1: even laughing. She just kept saying that. Right. Which is interesting.
0: Well, that, the idea of, like, what people will or not think is funny or like that, like, that right. was actually one of the things from the John Mulaney Hot Ones thing. He was talking about his mm-hmm. grandma, how she got a boyfriend, which I think is from his, like, lunch pail Like, that's some bit. Sack lunch punch? Yeah, there's, like, some bit about that in that thing. But he was, like, I instantly knew how funny it was to tell someone my Mm. grandma had a boyfriend. And he's, like, I just built humor around that. And, like, I think that's an interesting thing to, like, pull back and be, like, these things in life are actually funny. Yeah. But how do you turn them into jokes that, like, more people will, like, find relatability to and also just laugh at?
1: Because sometimes you get up on stage and you're like, this is going to just kill. Yeah, and then right. you realize you don't have a punchline and there's no, like, rhythm to it. Sure. And so, and then it, it'll it land flat. Like, it is is really interesting. Like, you can say a really funny story, but if you're not, like, in the rhythm of the crowd, you're going to lose them.
0: Mm. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Is um there? I think that's really interesting. I had a really bad – did I tell you about my really bad comedy crowd experience at the Funny Bone when Meredith was – did we talk about it on the pod when she was performing, but the crowd was just so bad to her and, like – not to her specifically, but, like, it was just a really drunk bad crowd.
1: At St. Charles? Yeah. No, you didn't – we didn't talk about this on the pod.
0: They were just all hammered drunk, and it was – the headliner was this pickleball local teacher guy. And I think it was a lot of his people that came out, and I think he was kind of surprised. Like, oh, I'm getting – like drunk heckled by my <laughs> own people like there was a point where i watched him he's like i'm gonna call this guy out and he does like the this and he's like oh shit that's my guy <laughs> like, that's gotta suck i love that um
1: i mean that kind of sucks
0: yeah hecklers are weird i like it's one of the things i appreciate about church pretty anti-heckling crap
1: i gotta say just like a little comment i feel like you've been getting really good laughs at church lately
0: i appreciate that. i just
1: i mean that and i'm always like go danny
0: I think it's the room. We talked about this with your yes. zeal at the well, finally landing. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think part of it's just the room is better for for laughs. I think, um, and your timing can be better when you're facing one direction. When you're in a round, it's harder to have good timing. I feel 100%. like hundred percent. Yeah. Um.
1: So that so. was um comedy corner on the deconstruction. Huh. Zone.
0: So what's a, so yeah, that's a great transition into. You have a legit topic for us I today. I do have a legit topic. And so what? Uh, what's on our mind? What are we talking so,
1: about? So I'm gonna be super honest. I didn't think we would get to this topic this soon slash who knows but where i'm honestly at isn't this about embracing the journey Mm. um isn't that what this is all really about but (laughs) uh but i kind of want to talk about the awkwardness that comes when you like low-key reconstruct
0: you've got an interesting interpretation there of low-key yeah
1: what i mean by that is i feel like i found a lot of acceptance with like the hardcore atheist crowd Mm -hmm. when I was like, you know what, F the church, like whatever. Not that I was ever like fully like that, but for a while I was like, I don't want anything to do with this probably. And they were like, finally, Emily figured it out. Like you kind of feel intellectually like an equal, like, and I'm like, yeah, that was crazy that I ever thought that, right? Like you kind of just enter into that and own that. And there are a lot of people who find you, who when you kind of leave the church space or maybe like, Go away from the label Christian who like find you safe and find you more like palatable. Sure. And so, like, for example, someone that came to my sermon on Sunday um is someone I know who like we had bonded over being like, this is like not cool, right? Like we're not. Uh-huh. And so it was super awkward. Like your
0: like the faith, what you're deconstructing. I'm sorry, yeah. Through, yeah. Like
1: we bonded over deconstruction and being like church is dumb, like blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And so then for like him to be there and see me preach, I was like, this is a little bit awkward uh-huh. because I'm kind of going back on what I said. You feel like you weren't true to your word.
0: Yeah. That's it's, interesting. It's just,
1: a, it's a weird vibe that I'm finding.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that, and we'll, I think there's a lot of different routes we can take this, right? And I know for you, we've tried to stay away, or at least I have tried to be, um, sensitive to using the term reconstruction correct for you because i know that it feels like a a hurrying or a moving into something but what i think is interesting is like as you're in that process because in whether you like the term or not to what you're doing like you're you've kind of pulled things apart and you're deciding what you want to build back up in that tower of faith right um beliefs and practices and all that but as you build that up like it had is interesting because I think the people that are not a part of the church that you bonded with are going to feel like you're stepping back into the, the bigoted, broken, hateful yeah. system that was over here. But I also wonder, like, do you get pushback from people in the church that are like, well, now you're finally coming back, like this kind of like you finally came around type thing? Because I imagine you could get some level of awkwardness from both sides and have you, or has it just been from the not church community as you kind of step back into it?
1: That's a really good question. I think I don't feel like I've gotten that explicitly from maybe the more Christian churchy side of been like finally, but I think I, I do start to feel, I think I read into it of like, this is what people are probably thinking when probably no one's thinking it. But even just like yesterday or on Sunday, I like served communion with you. And Mm -hmm. I was like, people are like literally taking this like holy sacrament for me. And like, not that long ago, I was like, I don't know what I think about anything. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a little bit of imposter syndrome, I guess, or like. That people must be thinking, like, where does she get off thinking that she can serve this? But that was just all in my own head. No one said anything close to that to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to – my next thing, because, again, there's a lot of different directions. But, like, the imposter syndrome is, like, based more in you, right? Like, of how you feel. But I guess my question would be, like, so say you saw someone – like, is that rooted in how you would have felt about someone else that you saw – Doing this, like if you saw right an Emily deconstruct, walk away, be pretty vocal about it, come back to preaching and preside over that, like would that have given you tension to witness?
1: That's a really good question. I think, I think it wouldn't have given me trouble if I felt like that person was back to being a hundred percent certain. Then I would have been like, "That's fine that they're back in ministry because they found certainty again." And so I think where the like where the rubber meets the road for me is that I don't feel fully certain and yet I'm stepping back into these positions and then I feel like
0: – An imposter.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But – and I'm going to say a little bit. This imposterism is interesting because I would say I felt a little bit of that when I was like super vibing with the atheists too uh-huh. because I was like there's still part of me that like – connects to something spiritual or some even when i really didn't have a name for it and really didn't know what that was i didn't feel fully atheist and so when people were like yeah and that's all like bs right i was like i mean yeah but like there's some cool thing like you feel you yeah. feel like an imposter on either side and i feel like we discuss in between this a lot but it's just like i don't know i feel like either yeah. way you kind of feel like you're trapped
0: well i can't remember if i said this on the podernet right? because like, you didn't come to Eric Feltus's sermon or did I uh, yeah I did okay you did come that so did you hear what like he said in the message where he was like I'm not gay enough for the gays and not Christian yeah. enough for the Christians if that's a similar it
1: vibe is. that I hear in
0: some of what you're saying it's like you're not Christian enough for really yourself is what I hear you saying um and you're also like not like atheists enough or really it's not even athe- like you're not disconnected enough from the hurtful system enough to feel like you're yeah not doing like talking out of both sides of your mouth, right?
1: Yeah. And I and here's the thing is like I don't really want it's it's weird because I don't like feeling like an imposter on either side or feeling this in betweenness. And at the same time, I would hate to become tone deaf on either side. Yeah. Like I'm glad that I occupy a middle space because I think I watched a tiktok or something yesterday couldn't tell you who it was with but she was saying like she basically was saying like i deconstructed and then i realized that like all my deconstruction was just like my own sin and like all that and i was like girl like i don't i don't want to get to that place where it's like i become anti-deconstruction i really don't think i ever will but it is this like i don't want to go fully like yeah everything's perfect and nothing's the problem but i also don't want to go fully tone deaf in the yeah. Nothing matters, and God isn't real.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of complexity in it. Like one thing that I just kind of zeroed in on the the course of what you just talked about yeah. was this idea of like, well, I don't know what I believe, and I'm or I'm not certain, and so then that makes me like an imposter, right? That's a, kind of distilling a little bit of yeah. what you said. And what I think is interesting is that is rooted in an assumption that every pastor ab- <laughs> above you is very certain about things, right? And what I would yeah. say. And I could be an aberration. I could be the exception, right? And I just don't think I am. But I, the more people I meet and the more pastors I talk to, they have doubts and they have questions and they have fears and they're not as certain on everything. And that doesn't mean they're not comfortable teaching and diving into kind of the theological perspective that they hold. But there is, I think, after centuries of the church being built on a very hierarchical structure of the need for certainty, there's way more clergy that are wrestling with questions Mm -hmm. and don't know and have doubts and have fears and all that lack of certainty but they just can't share it and what's interesting for me is like i look at your story and your involvement in ministry in preaching in church in stuff outside the church all of what you're doing is i think is a really great test or a a testament to a holistic side of ministry and the complexity Mm -hmm. of what it could and should look like and how it shouldn't have to be like you check all these boxes and pretending like, it's one of the things I didn't like about the ordination process is it felt like by the end of it, when I got ordained, they're like, all right, now you've got it. You figured it out. And it's like, <laughs> but we didn't, right? right? Like we're still works in progress. I was 29, 28 when I got ordained. It's like, and I graduated seminary. It's like, so I'm as smart as I'm going to be now. <laughs> and as you like become an older parent, you're like, oh, my parents didn't know any of their shit either. stop it you kids don't even know what you're talking about and like as you become (laughs) an older person in your job it's like oh all my bosses didn't know everything either and i think the church is exactly the same thing it's like we just assume that the people a generation a job a step ahead of us have finally arrived at certainty or perfection or whatever and i just think as a word of encouragement it's like i think peppery people around you as they're listening on sunday are like i vibe with this because i feel that When you say things like, and I remember one of the first times you preached about prayer, you're like, and I don't know exactly what I think about this. People connected more with that than anything else you said, right? Because there was honesty and it helped people see themselves in the topic that we were talking about. And I think we can sometimes do a disservice when we're like, this is it. This is the box. We feed it to people and then we just like run with it now, right? Yeah.
1: No, I'm totally with you. And I think I I can say in my head, like, it is good to name doubts in sermon or like people to hear that from the pulpit, I do think is really valuable because in a sense, I think that that is a sort of representation yeah. of being like, oh, like that's how I feel about God. And like that is being preached to me and is not something that's being condemned. yeah. And I think that's totally real. I think kind of what you said that that hit me was you were like, a lot of pastors feel that way, but don't feel like they can talk about it. And it's like, I did this very publicly Mm -hmm. and so I don't really have the option to like be (laughs) doubtful and go into ministry. Maybe I did at one point I, I forfeited that. Um, And I I don't regret that at at all. You mean
0: like keep your doubts to yourself. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Or even like my journey to myself. Yeah. Like my journey is totally out there.
0: But I don't think that would have been helpful. I actually think like, and we've talked about the benefits and the scope of all of this podcast and like a lot of it's, not based in like pastors necessarily, but like, I think that should be a word of encouragement. It's like, like that shouldn't be a disqualifier. It's like, what would happen if we had a generation of like pastors that were way more open about the things they weren't certain Mm -hmm. about? Like how that would change the trajectory of the church? Like, would it be terrible or would it be really good and fruitful?
1: That gets me pumped for the church to think about that. I, for one, I'm excited.
0: So then good on you, right, for sharing it, right? Because maybe, like, it's opening the doors for other people. Yeah. Because like, I think you, like, I think, and you tell me if this is wrong, but you're sitting in a place where you could see yourself being a teacher for the next 30 years. You could see yourself being a stand-up comedian for 30 Right. You could see yourself maybe being a pastor yeah. for 30 years, right? All like, of those are accurate. And I think what's encouraging is, like, you haven't disqualified yourself by sharing your story. I think it's mm. only made it, like, more compelling part of your call story. Um, and anything about like people like Paul in scripture, right? Like, not that he deconstructed, but like the life he had before being a minister of the gospel was not one that was a very compelling resume. And he had people that push back against it. And now we read all of his stuff, and he's the most prominent voice, right. right? And he was someone that up to like first century Christians were probably like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And there were probably more people than writings tell us that wanted him out of things. And he's shaped the trajectory where we are today, mm. which is interesting to think about.
1: Well, if anything, him coming to know the gospel, to me, was him deconstructing. Because I would consider Paul yeah, I guess a that's huge right. fundamentalist. Yeah, before, he definitely, I think that's right, yeah. Which is kind of interesting. So, like, Paul becoming more in tune with the gospel and speaking incredibly authoritatively mm-hmm. came from him letting go of, like, what he thought was probably certain.
0: Yeah. yeah, And said even... he
1: had... Tiles on his scales. Scales. Yeah. (laughs) Scales on his eyes. Like, there's probably something to that of like, you had to
0: be
1: in the dark for a while. We could dive into that.
0: I think that's I'm like, it's funny. Like, as you're talking, like, my mind is like bumping through like sermon serious ideas on we've done deconstruction stuff in the church, but I don't think we've done it through the lens of Paul. I think that'd be really interesting.
1: I don't think that would be compelling to people. I think it might be. I think it might be, but I think a lot of people feel pretty negatively toward Paul. Mm,
0: Let us know in the comments.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Except a lot of people on are like Be nice. Jesus is comments. great. Paul's an asshole. Instead of like, I
0: think people think that, but I think that does a disservice to the complexity of humanity. I'm with you. I actually am very anti-Paul hate. There's and I there was a time where I was like, ah, oh, like I think he was a messiah. Like I would go against him, and I'm like, you. Someone just tweeted today, like a friend of mine, like the people. Let me see this. The people that are calling for. Um, says, I'm convinced that those who shout repent uh, to others are the ones who need repentance the most. I feel the exact same way about people's hatred towards Paul. They see a reflection of what they don't like about themselves. and so, But they want the same grace that was extended to him, but they're unwilling to extend it to him. And I just think it's a really interesting dichotomy.
1: That's a word, Danny. Put that on a TikTok. That's like, wow, yeah. I think you're right on the money. And I also think, and I think a lot of the Paul hate comes from thinking that the bible is like 100% the word of god like that you have to hate paul if you think the bible is like the 100 100% authoritative
0: well kind of or you love paul because or you're of, just like
1: this guy says what no I one don't else says I think will say. any
0: like heart like I don't think you're a tribe of people you grew up in I think they're like paul's pretty dope and his whole thought on women, loving it. I think <laughs> his thoughts on gay people, killing it, right? Like, I don't think anyone's in the in the Presbyterian circle that you grew up in is too worried about Paul. I think it's the progressives that are worried about Paul.
1: I agree. I'm actually, this is, like, kind of off topic, but it's interesting. I would say that they're not, like, yeah, killing it. Maybe inside, this is what Presbyterians would actually go is they would be like, well, damn, like, we don't want to not include you. We hate that, but Paul like said Paul so. said it, and so we have to do it. Like, yeah. sucks for you that you can't be in ministry yeah. or get married.
0: Yeah, I think it's like the parents, right? Where it's like, oh man, I really want to let you go play with your friends, but mom said no. Paul's the bad cop. Yeah, right. Paul's bad Paul cop.
1: Paul is the bad cop.
0: Okay, we're going to go with the classic you be bad cop, I'll be good cop. Okay, but all cops are bad. That's true. Follow my lead. All right. That's the, the OG
1: bad cop. OG, Paul, OG. the apostle. Bad cop. Shirt.
0: Kind of I kind of like that actually Me too. Probably pretty nerdy it. but <laughs> Tyler would you wear that shirt no no That's fair <sighs>
1: um yeah my boyfriend Tyler is in the studio today
0: behind the zone some might say
1: he is in a sense behind mm-hmm. the zone
0: um, um...
1: <laughs> but then we're not behind the zone we can't get into this yeah right this now. is
0: too much too much talking behind <laughs> yeah there's a new ukulele I noticed that mid you talking and started to smile. So if you noticed me, smile at nothing. I was like, oh, there's a new ukulele back here. <laughs> um, I thought right. you well, just liked what I was saying. So I generally did. I thought it was pretty good. Um, where do you want to keep diving into this? Like any other kind of directions on this kind of topic of the reconstruction shame? Honestly,
1: I kind of do. Okay. Um, I kind of want to say or like ask. How do I, maybe this is a stupid question, but like, how do I continue to be like a safe person to my like more atheist friends? And but also be like pursuing a faith that they they probably feel is pretty like threatening to maybe acceptance or whatever. And I think that they my friends like know me and know that like I'm not an asshole, hopefully. But I do think that there like is a shift. Even like I posted on my Instagram story that I was preaching and I was like, I know some people are going to see this and be like, where did this come from? Yeah. You know, I don't know.
0: I So that's a great question. Yeah. And I think, I think people will feel a way about it likely. But I don't know that it's bad. Like they might feel great about it. Because one of the things you said in passing as you went through that is like, or implied, maybe I think you said it, but like these people like trust you, like you've built yeah. relationships with these people that you're friends with, and I think again, like about in my life, like I always toe that line of when am I going to share that I'm a pastor with mm-hmm. people, or when am I going to uh, like, I've, and I've said this before, almost certainly on the podcast before, like my biggest fear is conversations where it's like, hey, what do you do? What do you do? And I was like, ah, oh, shit, now I'm going to eventually have to say I'm a pastor, yeah, and I'm going to watch everyone be like, make a decision: do I want to talk to this person or not? And it's probably close to if not the exact same level with you when, like, people are like, hey, you're talking to people and your faith might come up or they see on social media. It's like, oh, this person might not be who I thought they were or you just have that fear inside you. of Like, that's how they'll respond.
1: Well, sorry to interrupt you. I'll be honest. The main time it comes up is, like, in the comedy circles and people will be like, oh, Emily, you have a podcast. And I'm like, it's not a comedy podcast. And they're like, oh, what's it about? I'm like, it's me and my pastor and we talk about, you know, like, undoing faith and things like that and they're just like oh my god like yeah it kind of shuts down the room
0: i believe it and i because i've experienced yeah. <laughs> that right and i but i wonder it's like so i think of it and you're gonna hate me what about i'm about to say and so you're not gonna like this but hear me out and trust that i don't mean what you think i'm implying you have are to you? play the long game of relationships here like you have to trust that you as a person are being safe and compelling and truthful and honest and that you as a friend will ultimately win out over all of the stereotypes of what they imagine faith to be and like you just simply existing and holding that tension is the greatest testimony to Mm. what those that are a part of our tradition could and should be and I think by holding that tension you're blazing a trail for other Mm. people and maybe for them maybe they never engage faith in a meaningful way or at all but maybe they do because they're like oh this emily person was not a jerk or a bigoted person or closed-minded or whatever and like their faith mattered to them but they still like hung out with us and did normal like i think all of that is a testament to you and so that's a long way to answer your question. I think like building trust with people mm-hmm. is hard, and but you're doing that. And I think you always will have to toe the line of figuring out like where is it appropriate to introduce your faith? And like, are you willing to risk alienating people by having that be a prominent part of your life? Mm-hmm. And like, what is the most important thing? Like, are you w- interested in your friendship maybe taking space away from what your faith is doing or your faith to maybe potentially lose space that you're holding with your friends? Or do you believe that they can like feed into each other and actually make them both more robust by the end?
1: I think the hope is like if people, one I'm fine with the idea of long game when it's like gaining trust yeah. with someone and not like making yeah. them a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah um i got there it took i had to find my inner peace
0: yeah you just had to let me finish what i was saying yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but i think the hope uh, my hope for sure is when people say like oh you like go to church and i'm like yeah but like i find this helpful or i find this like that my tap my rich tapestry of who god is is so much bigger than probably what you think when you hear like a christian church right that i go to and so that's of course my hope is that people are like emily's actually cool because i'm super cool um but also that emily is connected to her faith and that isn't a bad thing and that doesn't make her less cool or less accepting not that it's all about being cool
0: yeah <laughs> so i don't know if this is i'm working this out in my head so okay this might not work out as it is verbally processed But in the political world, I often hear people being like, Mm. I need to move to the way, like progressives, like like, I'm going to move to California so I can be around more progressives or moving Mm. to Portland or Austin or whatever, you know, I want to move to a more progressive Mecca. So I'm around like-minded people and that'll be what makes the country better, right? Oh yeah, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Not cool at all. And what I think is interesting is like, if you were thinking of it in terms of like fighting the good fight of the cause you believe in, like staying and holding tension in those spaces where you are the outsider, but you're hoping to fight for like more holistic and systemic change, Mm -hmm. which I think is what progressive, inclusive Christianity is trying to do. I think trying to fight for those relationships and trying to help them understand the complexity of them without proselytizing, but also still like helping them understand like I'm still a normal person and I care about this, but I also care about our friendship is better than being, like, wholesale, all right, I'm only with Christian friends now. Or, like, I'm only with non-Christian friends now. Like, I think holding that tension. And, like, I was just at, like, a party for my youngest daughter's daycare. And, like, going through the whole conversation of talking to people and what do you do. And I just try. And I'm, like, telling you this, but, like, I avoid talking about myself at all costs. Because Mm -hmm. I don't want, like, I'm, like, I don't want to make this anymore. I didn't want to be at this like stupid picnic anyway. And so I was like, <laughs> if I have to start talking to people about th- what I do and like have people leave me in conversation, this is gonna make this awful thing already worse. Yeah. And so I told someone it ended coming up and like I'm sharing what they did. And what it ended up being is like we had a really interesting conversation about life and faith and our podcast and all of those sorts of things in mm-hmm. the well and our kind of church with people that would have never had the opportunity to have that conversation with me if I would have just shut it down. And what I would say for you is both in terms of like when you're preaching and or serving communion or when you're in your uh, spaces with your non-religious friends, I think allowing them to act and move how they feel fit and you not writing the narrative of what they feel or think or subscribing or prescribing mm. what you think they're going to do is the healthiest space for you to occupy because I even wonder in everything we've talked about how much of what you assume is happening is just in your head and not even in theirs at all.
1: Oh, I will fully <laughs> admit that there, there's, I'm sure, a lot of that. And in reality, like people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. You know what I'm saying? I
0: mean, the people are thinking about me a lot. But. <laughs>
1: No one thinks about Danny Leibarger. No, I
0: think you're right. Like, it is funny how much you talked about this on, like, really early on. Yeah. This idea of main character. We think we're the main characters, and we are of our stories. Of this podcast. Of this podcast and of our stories. But. I can't, Hanny and I were just talking about this. Like, I wonder how much people talk. Like, oh, we were talking about like an ex boyfriend of hers that like some comes up in conversation randomly. Yeah. And we we're like, I wonder if we're that for other people. And the reality is like, you're just probably not, right? Like, yeah, just, like for unless sure. there's an interesting story, which this person has that was just kind of a funny story that will randomly pop up, like, unless there's that, the idea that you're like populating other people's stories as much as we think is probably not true.
1: A hundred percent. I want to quickly pop back over to your political analogy Mm -hmm. um, because I really dug it. And I think it made me think of how um, often throughout this podcast we have talked about like not surrounding yourself with an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And I think when people say like I want to move like one it doesn't get like fighting the good fight across but also you're not challenged and grown. And so I think I think maybe the shift needs to be and I try to do this. I don't always do this well. But, like, with people I disagree with, like, I really want to enter in with curiosity and listening. And so almost the question isn't, like, how can I make both sides feel okay? But it's, like, what can I learn from both sides? And so it's stepping into those spaces not so that you can prove yourself but actually just so that, like, you can be sharpened. Like, I'm absolutely spiritually sharpened by my atheist friends and also by my Christian friends and also by my Buddhist friends. Like – right. I just I think it would be helpful to switch the narrative between like what can I give all these groups to like what can they how can they shape me because that makes me one a lot less like in my head about like what are they thinking about me Mm -hmm. it makes me more curious and I also just think is like compelling to everyone to have someone that's a good listener
0: yeah I think I think you're on the nose with that and I think being a good listener is like such an important thing that we overlook in terms of most parts of our life
1: for sure, for
0: sure. Yeah. I dig this. Is there so again I want to keep it going as long is there anything else on this track you want to keep marching down?
1: I don't think so. I feel like that was a good wrap up.
0: Yeah. So we've got away from this actually. We haven't I haven't noticed but what would your encouragement be to someone maybe Aww. asking the same question?
1: It's a
0: really good question.
1: Um, I think my encouragement would be that like Even if people are challenged by it, if they're like really your friends, like they will stick by you with whatever you believe. And so just like finding a group that, you know, is like safe to be your true self with whatever that is. And also just that, like, I don't know, I just think continue to explore and continue to be shaped. And it's okay to be being open and honest about your doubts and your concerns and your struggles doesn't disqualify you from anything i think that's what i really needed to hear today
0: yeah well it's good i think like helping other people again we've talked about this before the idea that this podcast though it's not just focused on your story your story is a lens for other people Mm -hmm. i think to see themselves and i think words of encouragement like that are helpful in the sense that um there's probably and almost certainly many people who listen to this that are asking that same question. And so I appreciate your candor and your honesty and your encouragement on the other side of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I do also kind of, I like worry for the people, like, you know, there were like people who commented who were like early on in the pod and they were like, I actually fully deconstructed and it's like, girl, just wait. And now it's kind of like a just wait again. But it makes me a little bit nervous Yeah. because I was like, I don't know, it makes me a little bit nervous to be kind of on the quote reconstruction track because i feel like people will be like well that's not like compelling anymore yeah not that that matters but it's just like i feel like people were like emily finally made it to atheism like she finally gets it and yeah. i feel like i like i think through some again this is all in my head of what other people's head mm-hmm. is but it's like i think to some it could feel like she like un it
0: yeah, and that you, just kind of bugs me. You were there, and you were so close, and now you're back. You got pulled back.
1: And I'm people would also listen to this podcast and say the exact reverse. Yeah. Be like, you were there, you weren't there, and now you're back.
0: Yeah, I've had I've had plenty of people say to me in the course of this podcast, um, like, "Are you nervous that Emily will never be a Christian anymore?" Or like, "How are you going to help her get to reconstruction?" Mm-hmm. Or um are you nervous that you're leading her to hell or that people will hear all these other things and i was just thinking as you were talking like over the the 50 plus weeks we've done this yeah i've never once really concerned myself with where you are in your journey mm-hmm. because of what i think you just said your hope was it's like i want to trust you and, and love you as a friend and like walk alongside you in whatever this looks like and i think as your friend, the bigger picture is not whatever I necessarily want for you. It's like, mm. how is it best? How can I best support you where you are exactly right now? And I think that's so like when I think about like your where you are, if it was right. a journey, which I think is bad language anyway, because it creates this linear process that is not what this is.
1: And as we said in a very early episode, deconstruction is just Jeremy Me.
0: Who's Jeremy Bearme? Jer- oh, we did say that.
1: You can't. You don't know where it's going. I forgot
0: what that. That's really good. You said that, or I said that?
1: I think I said that. That's really good. <laughs>
0: That's good. Um, Jeremy uh,
1: Bearme is reference from the Good Place, where he's like, time isn't linear. It goes in this, and it's like, yeah. you would never, no one would ever be like, it probably goes in Jeremy Bearme. Yeah.
0: And the reality is, whoever's watching this right now, there's almost certainly going to be a clip right here of the signature, right? A clip again, a
1: hundred percent.
0: At least there wouldn't be now because I said there would be. Yeah, we're telling. Or there won't be. That'll be funny. Either way, I like to watch it and see, like, what possible. <laughs> I up.
1: love the new – honestly, another plug for the video. If you don't watch the video, it's really fun. And honestly, like, I've had more fun since Dustin has, like, added fun things. I yeah. said the word fun, like, eight times in that sentence. And I know
0: but- everyone kind of knows Dustin. You haven't been on in a while. Yeah. Um, but – and there was a season where we kind of did the tripod, pot. like, we all had a microphone. Right. But shout out to I me, mean, the episode's quality from one to now have gotten way better, way cooler, like more compelling. And I think you're always trying to figure out how it's great for the audience. And it's like, it's been fun to see. So I dig it. Bigger yeah. Budget. Bigger budget.
1: And also we were kind of the like guinea pig podcast, I believe. I think so. I think Dustin was like, yeah, I'll try this with you guys. But okay. Anyway. But like, you've done great.
0: Put a Chapel Media logo right here.
1: Chapel Media. <laughs> um, okay. I don't really think we need to hit our other sections. I think this was kind of a long, broad... I, I think
0: so. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll save email corner. Maybe we'll open our next one with the email I had for today. and yeah. um, But maybe jump to if you have any recommendations.
1: recommendations. Um, Honestly, I'm not... Nothing is, like, coming to my mind. Mm. Um, So, I have Movie Mondays at my house. We... This theme, the theme is 80s movies this month. Sure. We watched The NeverEnding Story. Actually, this is absolutely my recommendation. Honestly, it kind of wrecked us all. We were all like pretty like, oh my gosh, because it's kind of this story of this boy's like kind of loss of innocence or loss of imagination. And it's just, it's very meta. And also, I just think really connects you to your inner child in a really adorable way. So I'm yeah. going to say The NeverEnding Story. That's not like a new recommendation, but.
0: Yeah. That movie, I'll have to rewatch it because I have like some traumatic childhood thoughts of that giant doggy flying in that the one, like the,
1: I thought it's so cute.
0: Yeah. I have nightmare recollections of that movie, but I'll think about it.
1: Maybe don't rewatch it. Um
0: I'll give a recommendation what not to do as a parent. If you have a nine and a seven year old, don't watch Percy Jackson <gasps> with them. Uh, it's way more scary than I thought. It's I was pretty do. scary. Um, I had to sit Next to my daughter until she fell asleep. It Aww. was, and we only watched like a third of the movie. Uh, it's and they were like so interested in it, but it was because we watched. Uh, we haven't gotten all of the Harry Potter's. We've watched most of the Hunger Games. Like they kind of oh, like cool. those things. Yeah, but this one was just real, like paranormal. Yeah, and like kind of monstery early
1: and pretty graphic not in like blood but just in like i feel like the monsters look really real and are really scary they look really real yeah. There, yeah there
0: was no blood or anything in it but it was like uh there was like some monster and i was like oh well this is not gonna be great
1: i mean the snake hair like medusa
0: we haven't got that far yet oh we you haven't really, even
1: gotten that far no wow like, y'all really didn't make it very far
0: he just found out he was a demigod <laughs> spoiler alert percy jackson's <laughs> a demigod yeah well um, speaking of demigods
1: like us like Maui. Um, <laughs>
0: um send us out.
1: Yeah. Everyone, as always, thanks for listening and embrace the journey.